Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Friday edition of Caleb and Kinney in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for joining us. Coming up on the show today, more details on former Colt Isaiah Rogers' bet that uh, cost him his job with the Colts. We'll get to that right after headlines. Also, uh, interesting candidate, in fact, incoming Big Ten football coach, now a candidate for an NFL offensive coordinator job because this would be the second such move we've seen from college head coach to NFL coordinator just this week. We'll get to that. And Michigan pulling out all the stops to try to get people interested in their basketball program this year. We'll explain what they're doing. In fact, starting this weekend, that uh, maybe could perhaps sell some tickets. And coming up in hour number two, a battle for the Big Ten is set. The Boilers now technically in the lead because Nebraska upset Wisconsin last night uh, at Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln in a game they rally back from a massive first half deficit. So uh, both teams tied to the top. Everything on the line. We'll give give you a preview for that. Top of hour number two. Also in hour number two, a lot of talk about college sports and free fall and ev- all this doom and gloom. We'll debate that. I think we'll have some interesting uh, takes on what's happening in college sports, especially the news of the last week. And then we'll also be joined by the voice of the comments, Shane Alberani. He will be with us to preview the weekend ahead for the case that they have not one, but two games at the Coliseum after they return uh, from their circus. I almost said rodeo just because rodeo road <laughs> trip, you know, for the Spurs every year is yep. just like. Nope, it was the circus in my brain. No, trip. it was the circus road trip. And now they're the back. Case. I did see we were talking about the the uh, college football, which we'll talk about later on in the show. That Kirk Herbstreet, yeah, uh, said that uh, that he felt college football was quote spiraling out of control. Yeah. I find it interesting that these are the people saying it. Yes, I'll, yes. I'll explain as to why I feel that. Now way. I love Kirk Herbstreet. I do too. I'll, I'll preface that by saying, but I am wondering if he would say that if Ohio State had won the national championship. Probably not. That's what I'm saying. I'm not and, saying he's a homer or anything like that. I think he's very objective and all this. Yes. I'm just saying, would he have the same opinion if Ohio State had won the national championship? And, and I'm say and the team not. who won the championship connected to, you know, an in season scandal. Yes. Very another great point. So uh yeah, we'll talk about that later in the in the show. And before we leave you uh for the week, our final story of the week. Um a family was driven out of their home in Georgia. By this, we'll explain. Mm. I'm not sure, like, I would find it cool, but I'd also be kind of, well, yeah, I understand. It's it's one of those. So it yeah. has to do with an animal, of course. Of course. So back on our animal beat uh, to wrap it up. Again, 46862 is how you text us on the show. 46862, just put in CK before your message. Don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com. Listen for free on the 1380 Fan mobile app, free for you to download, or also on your smart speaker as well. All that to say, happy Friday to you, Justin. And to you, sir. How was the uh, Mastodons game last night? Uh, Other than the loss. Other than the loss. Well, that's a conversation in itself, but it was uh, a good good matchup last night out at the Coliseum. Saw some buddies I hadn't seen in a while. It was fun to uh, take in some Horizon League action. Unfortunately, the Mastodons fall had... Two prime opportunities to take the lead late, and Jalen Jackson couldn't connect on either uh, bucket close to the basket. 
The Dons, of course, blew a lead down the stretch. We're up five with uh, about two and a half to go and blew it. And it was just a, a devastating loss at home for a team that's trying to find its footing after getting started at 4-0 in the league is now 1-6 and in its last seven games. And while I've said that the, it comes down, of course, to the conference tournament, just not playing good basketball at all right now. No, and, and and it doesn't matter if it's at home or on the road, right? That That's really the ultimate issue. Jalen Jackson, as you mentioned, uh, he did lead the Dons with 17 points, 13 for Rashid Bellow, 12 for Quentin Morton Robinson, uh, Robertson. But uh, again, just a, another tight game, and unfortunately the Dons coming up on the wrong side of it. And th- this seems like a... Often occurrence yeah, this season. Yeah, often trend. We're playing from behind for the majority of the first half, trailed by as many as 10 or 11 in that game. Fought back, took the lead a couple times. Like I said, the five-point lead with under two, under three to go. Just couldn't make the plays down the stretch on either end, way, allowing way too many offensive rebounds, extra opportunities, and Milwaukee was able to capitalize when it mattered. And I was really impressed with 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 how Milwaukee was able to, after they got behind, fight back into it and and pull off the win. And the dude that was was clutch late, B.J. Freeman, the junior combo guard for Milwaukee, hit some big shots down the stretch, uh, a big uh, forced a big turnover as well, had a block shot, and uh, he showed up late for Milwaukee, where the Dons had nobody step up. Let's get to headlines, and that was obviously one of them. Uh, we shift gears to the NFL, and the Washington Commanders' next head coach is set. It is Dan Quinn, Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator. So he gets a job after all, which you kind of wondered if he would after how pitiful the Cowboys' defense looked in their wild card playoff game. Uh, so he's got a lot of work to do. Um, he was Dallas's defensive coordinator the last three seasons. Cowboys' defense obviously very, very strong uh, this past season. Um, they forced a lot of turnovers, obviously a lot of talented players. Now he's starting from scratch. Uh, Falcons, former Falcons head coach again, took him to the Super Bowl, and we all know what happened there. Uh, but they got off to a good start. In fact, 29 and 19 in his first three seasons in Atlanta, but then 14 and 23 in final two plus 43 and 42 overall three and two in the postseason. Obviously the bulk of that success coming in the Super Bowl run. And, with this team now, it's it's going to be tough. First year head coaches in Washington. Ron Rivera seven and nine did win the division, which is hilarious. That was in twenty twenty. Jay Gruden four and twelve in twenty fourteen. Mike Shanahan six and ten in twenty ten. Jim Zorn went eight and eight in two thousand eight. That's fun to say. Uh, Steve Spurrier in two thousand two went seven and nine. Marty Schottenheimer in two thousand one went eight and eight. Uh, you you go back as far as a actual winning record, George Allen in 1971 went 9-4-1. You have a couple other 8-8s eight eights mixed in. Joe Gibbs, in fact, his first season went 8-8 eight eight all the way back in 1981. That worked out with Joe Gibbs. Yeah, it did. won a Super Bowl with the then-Washington Redskins. I've seen differing takes on the hire of Dan, hiring of Dan Quinn. Maybe people looking at it, well, it's just Ron Rivera 2.0. But Dan Quinn has kind of been that guy last couple years that has been one of the leading head coaching candidates among coordinators in the league, and he gets this job. I thought he did a pretty admirable job with Atlanta. 
and he did a pretty decent job with the Cowboys defense. Obviously couldn't stop Green Bay and Jordan Love uh, in his in his last game, but a lot of people remember him, of course, for being up 28-3 in Super Bowl 51 against the Patriots, but um, I guess I'm in wait-and-see mode. I, I don't hate the hire. I don't love the hire. I'm kind of apathetic to it, but it seems like a lot of people have differing opinions on whether this is a smart move or not for the commanders. Well, anything involving the Cowboys, it's going to That is opinions. true. I mean, when you're talking about your rival and hiring your rival's defensive coordinator, I can see how maybe that wouldn't sit well. But if he wins, they'll forget about that pretty soon. But Washington, like many teams, what's their quarterback situation? Sam Howell started off the season really well and then faded. Are they going to go with Sam Howell long-term? I mean, they got Jacoby Brissett on that roster. Um, I don't know. I mean, Sam Howell threw 21 interceptions this year. Um, It wasn't good. Um, for him. So I don't know exactly. He got, he got sacked 65 times. So I don't know if it's where, well, we can, if we protect Sam, how he can be a long-term guy. I don't know. He's still pretty young. I don't know, but that's going to be the foremost decision for Dan Quinn heading into the offseason is what the commanders do long-term at quarterback. Meanwhile, the Raiders expected to hire former Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury as their offensive coordinator. So Aiden O'Connell, could uh, have the air raid in Vegas. That could be fun. So Kingsbury expected to uh, be named to that role. Worked last fall with USC's Caleb Williams as the Trojans quarterback coach and a senior offensive analyst. I like the hire. I think Cliff Kingsbury can be a really good offensive coordinator in the NFL. I don't know if it's Jimmy G, if it's Aiden O'Connell, if it's somebody new that's going to be behind center for the Raiders coming uh, in 2024 to start the season but I do think Kingsbury can do some good things in Vegas. In the NBA, the 76ers, Joel Embiid, uh, reportedly has an injury to his lateral meniscus and his left knee. Uh, Obviously not playing in the short term. They're going to evaluate him over the weekend. And the the key story there is that trying to get the number of games, right? He leads the league in scoring over 35 points a game, but again, he's running out of games he can miss. Uh, because of that 65-game rule. And I, I saw that Joe Dumars, who's in the NBA front office, who said, well, 20%. We feel like that's a fair number. So the NBA does not look like they're looking to adjust the 65-game rule whatsoever. Yeah, that was a debate that uh, even I had with a buddy yesterday at the Don's game talking about that rule. And he felt, look, if you're legitimately on the injured list, that's different as opposed to load management. You can You can figure out the difference. Uh, but the NBA, I don't think, wants to get into that oh, those arbitrary decisions. But the column that I read talking about how the 65-game uh, rule has worked uh, is claiming that the 71% of star players, which means all-stars or all-NBA players in the past three seasons, are on track to play 65 or more games this season, up from 47% at this time last year. That's a 24% jump, and the rule is addressing the load management uh, issue, unfortunately, it has some some um, some complementary issues going with it that we've talked about. But for what the rule was made for, it's seemingly working. I mean, Clippers fans have to be thrilled because they actually get to see Paul George yeah. and Kawhi Leonard on the at court the same at time. the same time in the same game. Yeah, imagine that because you weren't seeing that very no. much. No, so we'll see uh, the the status of Joel Embiid. Obviously, per- perhaps one of the biggest stories in the NBA. <laughs> 
at the moment as he tries to not only win the scoring title, but get it to count with the number of games remaining. Uh, Elsewhere in the NBA, they actually named the All-Star Reserves. And for the West, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, Anthony Edwards, Steph Curry, Paul George, and Carl Anthony Towns. And then for the East, Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle, Tyrese Maxey, and Paolo Bancaro. So the former Duke star already named an all-star. And uh, speaking of some of those players, in fact, the Pacers and Knicks squared off last night. And again, Tyrese Halliburton once again limited on that minutes restriction. Playing just 22 minutes, he had 15 points and 5 assists in 22 minutes. Uh, Pacers come up short in Madison Square Garden, 109-105. to And for the Pacers, this loss looks even worse when you consider that several of the, the Knicks players were out, including Julius Randle. Uh, but Jalen Brunson dropped 40 for the Knicks in the win. So fresh off his all-star appearance. Uh, he had a great outing for the Pacers. I mean, it, it, Miles Turner did not have a good game. No, five points, four rebounds. Was not good. Rebounding as a whole for the Pacers, they got out-rebounded by 16. This is how much I follow the NBA. The New York Knicks are 32-17. and 17. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> I had no idea. And they were missing four of their best players last night. And still, the Pacers blew a fourth-quarter lead. No, no OG Ananobi, no Julius Randle, no Quentin Grimes. Um, a lot of guys out last night. Mitchell Robinson as well, so still the Pacers lose to him. Yeah. Not a good loss. Not a good loss by the Pacers last night. Leading scorer for the Pacers was off the bench, Jalen Smith with 20. So Indiana will have to regroup coming up. Uh, I think they have a couple of games coming up this weekend. 46862, the text line number again, 46862. Someone talking about the Mastodons. Don's lack of size is killing us. Yeah, that seems to be the storyline this season so far. That is something that, that from the beginning of the season, I looked at as an issue. Eric Mulder ascends to the starting position for Rob Petty, who graduated. And behind him, I mean, Jonathan Desjardins can give you a couple good minutes, but he's not a dude that commands a lot of attention in the post. That's pretty much it. And when you get into the dog days of the conference season, if you don't have a big who can bang, um, it's, it's not going to be good, especially if you don't have depth at that position. The Dons clearly don't have depth at, at, at a true center power forward position. Meanwhile, former Indianapolis Colt Isaiah Rogers has admitted to ESPN that he won $1,000 placing a bet on Jonathan Taylor. So uh, this full interview will come out on Outside the Lines. It'll air, uh, in fact, airing right now uh, during the 7 a.m. Uh, Sports Center this morning and then also the 2 p.m. edition of Sports Center. But he placed a, a, a bet that won $1,000, a prop bet for rushing yards total for Jonathan Taylor last season. Uh, well, I guess it would have been, what, the, the season before? So 2022. Um, but uh, he said that the, the bet on Taylor actually came from a friend using his account. Uh, Rogers was uh, warming up on the field for a Colts game in 2022. So he he said that the account really was for his friends and family back home in Florida because they don't have legalized sports betting. And he said, I never included myself into any of the gambling. I never took any dollar. I never took a dollar for me. I never placed a bet for me to win. But 
Come on, rules man. are the rules. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't be, change. Anything. Don't be ignorant, man. Don't uh, now, but th- still doesn't make sense. So if the he, guy he said, I knew the rules. I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. Okay. I so mean, he did at least own that part of it. Uh, it's a good, it's a good, a good win thousand dollars, but not to potentially ruin your NFL career. And he was using two different cell phones during the 2022 season in the Colts locker room. <laughs> I mean, so, on, I mean, dude. everything like geotag, like, come on. Yeah, I mean, you're, what are you doing? In a contract year. I mean, the big thing is, 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 is uh, you don't owe your friends and family anything. Um, what are you doing? Uh, just a big, big mistake by him. And it could, uh, uh, it's already derailed his NFL career. We'll see what the fallout is after the details come out today. So he's now a member of the Eagles after serving his season long suspension. So we'll see uh, how his career moves forward. But for him that we finally get an answer on what actually happened with Isaiah Rogers senior and his season long gambling suspension. Four, six, eight, six, two is the text line number again, four, six, eight, six, two coming up next. This guy who's had Success in the past in college football, but is struggling now. Now a candidate for an NFL job, and I fully expect him to leave if he's offered. Coming up here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Rick Rolled. Here on a Friday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. So this will lead into our conversation hour number two, but Chip Kelly is reportedly a candidate for the Washington Commanders offensive coordinator job. Now, remember, Kelly has been an NFL head coach, coached the Eagles for three seasons, San Francisco for one season, went 28-35, and 35, did get an NFC East title, uh, 0-1 in the playoffs, though, and that was just in that first year as a head coach. So he had success early, and then, it, of course, it all fell apart uh, in Philly. But he is reportedly... Interested in returning to the NFL, and why wouldn't he be? UCLA is a program that is absolutely going nowhere. Uh, yes, they went eight and five last year, but they lost their defensive coordinator to crosstown rival USC. And he's had some success at UCLA after a really tough first three seasons, winning eight or nine games each of the last three years. But the schedule is about to get much, much harder. Uh, there are going to be a lot more people focused on UCLA football with the move to the Big Ten as well because of that. And there's the aspect that the UCLA athletic department is flat out broke. I mean, they're using the Big Ten move. Uh, yes, the Big Ten wanted USC and UCLA due to the market, but USC or UCLA needs the Big Ten so much more than the Big Ten needs them. Uh, how broke are they? Well, the athletic department posted a $36.6 million deficit for the 2023 fiscal year. That was their Ouch. fifth straight year with a deficit. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> they are it's, definitely chasing it's the money. It's pretty bad. It goes and and look, time. here's the thing. It's going to work out for them because they're going to get the money starting this upcoming academic calendar school year. And the Rose Bowl will actually have good attendance for football games and not just, you know, the game against USC <laughs> or whoever else. They will have huge crowds the first, you know, two years. And I expect crowds to trail off because... Well, the people who are fans of other Big Ten programs who have already seen their team and probably won't want to deal with everything that comes with going to a game at the Rose Bowl. Great venue, but it's not exactly a very accessible location. And everyone I have 
heard, yes, it's a great setting, but the venue itself needs some massive upgrades. Yeah, it does. I mean, you look at Chip Kelly had enormous success at Oregon and then turned that into an NFL job. It uh, did not work out in Philly. Then it was an absolute disaster for a year in San Francisco, which I always forget actually happened. Yeah, I, I forgot that happened. In 2016. And then went to UCLA and has been all right, but not amazing. Yeah, 35 and 34. And so for Chip Kelly, he's becoming more and more uh, irrelevant when it comes to uh, at the forefront of conversations for either big college jobs or NFL jobs for that matter. So wouldn't surprise me if this is a move by a guy that at uh, 60 years old feels like I got to make a move. I got to make something happen if I'm going to get another big opportunity, whether it be in college or the NFL. And so I don't blame him for looking for jobs at, at what is being reported either in Washington or in Vegas with the Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the other thing that's interesting. So if he is a potential candidate for this job, not saying he's going to get it, but he's a potential candidate. Correct. And that's and if it, Cling's, Cliff Kingsbury somehow doesn't get the Vegas job, which is, sounds like a certainty. Yeah. So it would just but, be Washington that's left. Yes. And the other thing is Eric Bieniemy must clearly not be returning. True. In Washington. Could so, he be returning to Kansas City after and, Andy Reid uh-huh, retires next Connecting Sunday. the dots. Connecting uh-huh. the dots. So keep that in mind in terms of future head coaches in the NFL as we fully expect uh, to, to have Andy Reid retire, whether it's after this Super Bowl or soon. That seems to be very much on the table. That's the rumor. But... For Chip Kelly, I mean, we have Jeff Halfley going from Boston College, head coach, to Green Bay. Uh, You have the NIL scandals. Now Chip Kelly looking to move to the NFL. There's this question that is college football in free fall, and we'll talk more about that coming up next hour. But in the short term, with Kelly, I mean, the success that was expected from him at UCLA, this is a guy who simply doesn't want to recruit. They're not working the portal. Um... They've had a decent amount of success, but I don't think anyone would have expected UCLA to have struggled as much as they have under Chip Kelly based on his coaching acumen and what he does. But it seems like what he does off or what he did offensively at Oregon, you know, 10, 15 years ago, everyone's doing that now and nothing about what he can do is interesting or necessarily relevant because everyone's doing it and doing it at a at a much higher level. Yeah, whether you look at uh, at the West Coast offense or the spread, all that stuff that was a novelty at Oregon is now commonplace everywhere in college and the NFL. So that's the issue with 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 Chip Kelly is finding value somewhere. I think it's a, a enormous swing for him to say UCLA isn't going to project me into another one last uh, really marquee job. And he feels like a couple of years of success in Washington with the commanders as an offensive coordinator could do that. So it would add a uh, interesting storyline to the commanders. If Chip Kelly is their OC for sure. 46 and seven at Oregon again, 35 and 34 at UCLA. And if he leaves, is that actually a blessing in disguise for UCLA moving over to the big 10? Yes. The first year is probably going to be a mess, but could that be the thing that actually jumpstarts their program? Because, yes, they're winning games, but their schedule is about to get so much tougher in 2024. I mean, you, you look at who they have to play. 
Uh, they open the season at Hawaii. You get IU for, their, for your first Big Ten game. But then at LSU, Oregon at home, at Penn State, at Rutgers, at Nebraska, Iowa at home, at Washington, USC, and then they have Fresno State, uh, oddly, to wrap up the schedule. I, I mean, getting to a bowl game now is going to suddenly turn into the goal. You're not looking at eight wins. Well, not especially when you're playing teams like LSU. I, I do think the Pac-12 was a more difficult league than the Big Ten was last year. But I did. I don't expect that to be... Uh, I, it was one year, really. And maybe two if you say 2022. But now you're in a bigger conference with better teams, including ones that you played, like USC. So it's going to be difficult for UCLA to go into the big 10 and compete with those teams consistently. And that's why Chip Kelly's looking for an out. And I don't blame him quite frankly. No. Oh, and for a guy who lost his, his five-star quarterback, right. Who's yep. transferred out and Dante Moore, a, a guy who doesn't seemingly recruit at a high level. I mean, this is a way for him to get out and to move forward. Wouldn't be shocking at all if that happens. No. No, it would not. And the UCLA athletic department as a whole is going to be a fascinating storyline entering the Big Ten because for them, it's a way to break free of the red and get out of those deficits, but it will also take some actual success after the first two years where... Yeah, once the novelty wears off. The novelty wears off. Sure. Then um, you're really going to have to start winning some football games. And it's going to be difficult for UCLA to do that consistently. And maybe a new coach and an infusion of incitement can can make that happen. I'll give Chip Kelly credit that he helped UCLA pull itself out of complete anonymity. Yes. But to take that next step may need a new coach. And you would think there'd be interest now, at least playing in the Big Ten, where you have you more money so. and higher profile position. So we shall see. That said, how much can they... Pay and the next head coach with how much they're losing money in the athletics department. Great question. Coming up on the other side from one program that's struggling to another, Michigan making a change starting this weekend. And I'm sure they hope fans will show up at Chrysler Arena and Yost Arena for hockey games as well. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Friday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Okay, so our poll question of the day is up at Caleb Kenny 1380 on Twitter slash X. And it's a simple one. Will you watch the Pro Bowl on Sunday? Yes or no? Now, we we are no's. You're we not are watching uh, you solid nose. Yeah, Purdue basketball on earlier in the afternoon. In fact, that will have pregame at noon and tip at one. You can listen to the game on our sister station, WoWo 92.3 FM. After the Purdue game, I don't really have any interest in watching the Pro Bowl. No, me neither. I think I'll probably be taking uh, that uh, off instead of turning on Pro Bowl. Plenty of people do, but we will not. Yes. Uh, so, again, will you watch the Pro Bowl on Sunday? Yes or no? Caleb Kenny 1380 on Twitter slash X, or you can just let us know on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. The text line number, just type in CK first, and uh, we'll get your vote on there as well. Uh, from the Pro Bowl to the University of Michigan, obviously great success, depending on whom you ask, <laughs> for their football <laughs> season. But basketball, 
not going so well. In fact, you look at, at Michigan in the Big Ten standings, it has been rough. They are uh, two and eight in the Big Ten. They've lost nine of their last ten, and one of those losses included a loss to at home to McNeese State, Ooh. to put it in perspective. But they're allowing alcohol sales at Chrysler Arena and Yost Arena starting tonight, and it starts with a wrestling meet at Chrysler Arena against Iowa at 8.30. Now the first edition of this for men's basketball will be Saturday at 3 p.m. against Rutgers, and for hockey it'll be February 9th against rival Michigan State 7 p.m. So hockey is not going to be an issue, right? You're playing Michigan State, but for men's basketball, they are trying to find a way to turn things around, and is this the thing that does it for Jawan Howard's program? Uh, I don't think it helps on on the court. Uh, it'll help people that have to watch Michigan basketball maybe get through it a little bit better. But, um, you know, the Michigan hockey is a heck of a lot better than yes. Michigan basketball. That's for sure. I mean, they have some some guys on that team that have already been drafted in the NHL draft. So um, I think it's going to be a lot more fun watching Michigan hockey. But the very least, you'll be able to uh, put a few back now in Ann Arbor when you're watching Michigan hoops. And it won't hurt considering the Michigan Rutgers game, which Boy. is coming up uh, for the Wolverines. This will be a battle of the basement of the Big Ten. Hey, Michigan at two and eight, Rutgers at two and seven. So Michigan trying to turn things around. And remember at the start of conference play when IU's win at Michigan looked like, oh wow, they actually pulled off a road win in the Big Ten. Well, now it doesn't look like it's much of anything uh, at this point. As Michigan, since then, they've lost 9 out of 10. They did win two straight, beating Iowa on the road in Eastern Michigan. But after that, they've lost again 9 out of 10 uh, since that IU loss at home. And for the Wolverines and Juwan Howard, for a program, right, that had so much success under John Beeline for so many years, Juwan Howard comes in. They continue that success, including some tournament runs. But just the wheels have completely fallen off this season. Yeah, and you look at it, and hey, next year, this could be a battle for trying to make the Big Ten tournament, right? Yeah. So maybe a little bit more intrigue next year. But for this game, Michigan and Rutgers, man, you really have to love Big Ten basketball to want to turn into this this one. I mean, this Boy. is a program that went from Sweet 16 in 2022 to uh, playing into the second round of the NIT last year, and now this year they look like a program that's going to be lucky to win uh, what, 10, 12 games. It's just a, it's a quick downfall for Michigan basketball. And after everything they did under John Beeline, it just, it feels like it's time to hit the reset button. Yeah. We, how much, I mean, is Juwan Howard gone at the end of the year? I would think so. I guess, oh, I think we're all surprised he's lasted this long. But I think this comes to an end at the end of the year. It's just rough. I mean, do they, they give him the opportunity to resign, maybe? I don't know, but hasn't been ideal for Michigan Hoops. No, it, it has been an absolute struggle. A couple of texts coming in talking about the Pro Bowl. Uh, someone saying, CK, Pro Bowl is pointless. I get it. People love hating on the Pro Bowl, but people still watch the Pro Bowl. Yes. That's the issue. That's why it's still around. Now, the TV ratings are not as strong as what they used to be, but it is still around. I think it would help if it was after the Super Bowl, Remember, they moved it before the Super Bowl to right. try to generate more interest. 
They even changed the format where it's like a flag football contest. Right. I just still had 6.2 million viewers last year. Can you imagine any other sport getting 6.2 million viewers? For pretty much any for a for pretty much game? for pretty much anything beyond like their <laughs> signature event and for most sports, including their signature event. Yes. And yet we're talking about how nobody watches. Yeah. But they do. They Some, do. Someone else saying I'd rather watch the Pro Bowl over Edie and Purdue get an ungodly amount of favorable <laughs> calls. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I don't necessarily agree. And someone else saying funny. we talking about Pro Bowl West. No, the Pro Bowl games. Ah, Pro Bowl West. Football. Is a nice, uh, not, uh, not, nice not, venue, not bowling. bowling alley. Yeah. Off Goshen. <laughs> That's where, nope, not that. where things are at. And uh, on the poll itself, over 90, uh, nearly 91% of you are saying no. But we'll see how it turns out when the ratings come out because I'm sure the ratings will be fine. Uh, yeah. They'll be, they'll be low by NFL standards, but they'll be fine. But because, you know, the people that say no are you going to find yourself flipping channels on Sunday and end up watching at least a portion of the Pro Bowl. We'll How say. bored do you have to be? <laughs> you have to be really bored. You you must really be avoiding any type of contact with family or anything to force <laughs> yourself to watch the Pro Bowl. Yeah. No, thank you. Can't do I, it. I, I would pass on the Pro Very Bowl. Very hard pass. 46862, again, your text line number, 46862. Someone saying, a uh, hard pass on the Pro Bowl, don't need to watch NFL players at recess. <laughs> Which is kind of the sell, like showing NFL players, oh, that are cutting loose and having fun and oh, the draw of that, blah, blah, blah. I think maybe 20 years ago when you didn't have access to social media as much and you couldn't see the other sides of these guys, maybe that's a little bit of more of a draw. I think especially when you go back to the old days of like the Major League Baseball All-Star game when you didn't have interleague play and these guys never uh, interacted except for the All-Star game, that there was some, some allure there. But now, no, not at all. No, no, there's the, uh, to me, I think the setting of it being in Hawaii and like you said, pre-social media. So it was kind of like a way to see stars at this cool, you know, tropical location. They just took all the, all the things that made it unique seem to be gone. I just don't, don't, don't understand the draw anymore. No, you really have to be similar to Michigan hoops. You really have to be diehard to be tuning into the Pro Bowl coming on Sunday. Well, and remember, the players used to be competitive about, at least some of them, used to be competitive about winning the game. Well, they tried to give a monetary bonus to the teams that won and all that stuff, and they still couldn't get them to buy in. Now it's just basically, uh, like a texter called it, just basically recess. NFL players at recess, playing some flag football. Uh, so did you cover the one saying busy watching paint dry? I can't watch the Pro Bowl busy watching paint dry another text Pro Bowl yes Manning Brothers are must see TV they do add an element uh, and they are what the captains so there'll be some good natured banter between the two and all that stuff but I don't know just that's not enough for me another text no I'm in my 50s it's not like it was 40 years ago when they actually hit and played a football game I mean that's how it was 20 years ago well that's what we said it was like there was a little bit more allure back in the day because they rarely played you rarely saw them on television uh you rarely you know, there was no social media right so that was kind of when you saw the players really cut loose and all be together and all the stars in one place right um now you can get that everywhere four six eight six two let us know in the text line your thoughts again four six eight six two someone else mentioning pebble beach is at 330 so there you go there's Ooh, there something you go. else you could watch over the pro bowl 
uh, after the Purdue game coming up on Sunday. Although they're supposed to get like stupid rain out in California, aren't they? Is that going to mess around with the Pro-Am? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I did not know there's, they're getting rain in California. There, yeah, they, they're sound the alarm there. There's like, like mega storms coming, like a, a crap ton of rain. And it's, you know, it's right on the coast. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the weather is supposed to be at the pro-am, but tune into that. I don't know if I had to choose between golf and pro bowl. I'd choose golf. You would? Yes. Um, Especially Pebble beach. Yeah, that's true. But uh, this was on uh, PGATour.com yesterday and talking about the potential weather. And it says um, on Friday today, up to an inch and a half of rain expected. The skies are slated to clear for a pleasant Saturday. And then Sunday calls for an inch of rain and sustained winds of 25 to 30 mile an hour with gusts up to 50 mile an hour. So that could be a fun event to watch on Sunday. If the wind is blowing up to 50 miles an hour, just blowing balls yeah. into the water. That will be, that will be very entertaining to see. <laughs> that's what that's uh, I'm, I'm in there. If they have to battle the elements, I, yes. I, I could watch that coming up on the other side. We'll wrap up our number one, a local Fort Wayne company and a partner with us here at 1380 fan putting together a vintage sporting event. Details next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up hour number one here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. And a pretty cool thing coming to Fort Wayne in June. It is the Vintage Baseball Showcase by Old Fort Baseball Company, which for the record is a partner with us here on 1380 The Fan, full disclosure. Uh, But Fort Wayne, of course, home to the first professional baseball game. Obviously, baseball continuing in the city with the tin caps today. But uh, the Vintage Baseball Showcase, June 29th, um, it will feature rules, vintage uniforms, and period authentic equipment from 1864, Mm. which was seven years before the first professional baseball game would take place along in what is now Camp Allen Park. So this is a, a pretty cool thing, and there's like a marker in that park. There in it is. The yep. Fort, yep. Fort Wayne Kikiangas, mm-hmm. remember, uh, took place against what the Cleveland Forest Cities. Is that right? Uh, I have no idea. I believe play. so. Uh, but so this vintage game, it'll feature uh, a, a team from Huntington, mm-hmm. the Black Flags BBC of Drovertown. Um, they have a, a team, uh, but the game will also feature the Indianapolis Blues, Elkhart County Railroaders, which are two barnstorming teams that abide by the throwback rules. So uh-huh. the Huntington team in the area, uh, they're a part of, as far as vintage baseball, again, June 29th, Lawton Park, uh, free to attend. And so they're hoping to add the vintage baseball showcase in the future by making it a tournament instead of just a singular game. And what day was it? What what June 29th. The 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 most uh admirable thing about these old-time baseball leagues is the fact that they will play in wool uniforms in the summer in late June <laughs> and that, yeah. which is setting you up potentially for a hell of a day in terms of the heat. So uh when I was in newspapers way back in the day and uh worked in Huntington and I remember covering some of those games with the Huntington team it's interesting. Different perspective of baseball. Uh, talking about when they when they played it in, during the Civil War in 1864. So, uh, a pretty cool event coming to Fort Wayne this summer. Yes, very much indeed. Coming up on the other side, 
We'll kick off hour number two here on a Friday. The battle for the Big Ten lead set for Sunday in Madison, Wisconsin. We'll preview Purdue and Wisconsin. Uh, Badgers coming off a stunning loss to Nebraska last night, if you missed it. We'll uh, give a preview of this matchup set for Sunday here next on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Coming up this hour on the show, we'll preview Purdue and Wisconsin. Plus, no, college football and college sports are not in free fall. We'll discuss, despite all the posturing that seems to be going on lately, Thing, the, the whole thing is not falling apart. And the voice of the Comets, Shane Alberani, will join us later this hour as the K's return to the Coliseum after the Circus Road Trip hosting Cincy tonight and Kalamazoo on Sunday. We'll get his thoughts on the roster turnover and if the K's can keep this playoff push going strong. Before we leave you at the end of the show this hour, a family was driven out of their Georgia home by a group of this animal. Fun story to tell. I don't know if I'd be afraid or kind of excited. <laughs> hmm. So we'll get to that we'll after 850. Here. Yes, for sure. All right. 46862, again, your text line number. Also, our poll question of the day is up. Caleb Kinney 1380 on Twitter slash X. It's a simple one. Will you watch the Pro Bowl on Sunday? Yes or no? Let us know. On uh, the poll, or also on the text line again at four six eight six two. Someone asking. So we we had talked about this vintage baseball game coming to Fort Wayne June 29th. Uh huh. And, and Fort Wayne had the first professional baseball game. And someone saying the Reds were a pro team since 1869. But sure, Fort Wayne has the first pro game. Yes, Fort Wayne has first pro game. They did not have the first pro team. That is, of course, the Reds. Which so means the, the Reds played they, a lot of semi like non-pro yes, they teams. They traveled around. Yes, they traveled around, but didn't play other pro teams. The first pro game between two pro baseball teams was the Fort Wayne Kikiangas and the Cleveland Forest Cities, May fourth, eighteen seventy one. Now we'll have to ask Brett Rump about that because I think he was a relief pitcher <laughs> for the Fort Wayne Kikiangas in that game. So. If you listen to the afternoon show, ask via text line today the memories that Rumpy has from that game. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get a text here. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> he listens occasionally in the morning. We'll see if he's listening this morning. Absolutely. Eagerly await that text. All right, so the battle for the Big Ten is set for Sunday in Madison, Wisconsin. Purdue in Wisconsin set to square off. One o'clock tip, and you can listen to the game on our sister station, WoWo 92.3 FM. Uh, the Badgers coming off a, a loss where they were up by 19 in the first half. And Nebraska that- came back, trailed by 18 in the second half to win 80-72 to last night in overtime at Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln. So both Purdue and Wisconsin playing overtime games before this big matchup. Do you think that is a boost to Wisconsin going into this game coming off a loss? Yeah, I mean I watched most of the first half and then some of the second half and it was a completely different game from when I started watching to when I turned it off. When I turned it off it was a one point game. When I started watching it was as I remember the score being an 18 point advantage. So it was a big run by Nebraska 
in the second half to to come back in this game. Yeah, and uh, for Nebraska, I mean, this just shows the difficulty of going on the road in the Big Ten, and and I don't think maybe you look at Wisconsin any different this morning because of that loss, but the fact that what Wisconsin had to do and go on the road and um, you know let a big lead get away, but. Uh, really, really impressed still with Wisconsin. I still think it's going to be a tremendous challenge for the Boilermakers coming up on Sunday. So we take a look at some of the matchups in this, and I think you think Purdue and Wisconsin, you think defense, right? And and not that these are bad defensive teams. These are elite offensive teams, which is something you certainly don't associate with Wisconsin. A battle of two top four Ken Palm offenses, Purdue first. The Badgers are fourth. Uh, Purdue sixth in three-point percentage in the country. We've talked about this at length. They've completely turned that around from last season, and that's one of the other reasons why you feel a lot better about the Boilers coming up in March. The Badgers, meanwhile, are the only top 100 team in all four factors, and you're asking, well, what does that even mean? Um, Effective field goal percentage, offensive rebounding percentage, turnover rate, and free throw rate. Uh, Purdue is good in all of those, but the turnover rate, they're pretty average. And that was kind of the, the only thing that you feel like is a weakness for this Purdue team this year. And conversely, I don't think Wisconsin, I, I definitely know that Wisconsin hasn't been challenged uh, by the best of the best in the Big no. Ten yet. Haven't played Purdue. Um, and then other than that, like who scares you? I mean, they had to go to Ohio State and win. That's probably their best win in the Big Ten is at Ohio State. Do you agree? But yeah, they, they. I mean, their non-conference they were challenged. They did beat Marquette, but they got blown out against Arizona. They lost to Tennessee. They even lost to Providence, which was a, a, a kind of a bad loss early in the year. They started off one and two, and then went on a tear after that until the Arizona game. So, but yes, they have not played a murderer's row of the Big Ten. And Nebraska on the road was, I would say, their toughest game of the Big Ten so far. And that was the game we saw last night. Yeah, and, and let that one get away. So I think this is a tremendous challenge for Wisconsin because I think you can look at their ranking and their schedule and say, eh, are they a product of their schedule or are they a legit top 10 team? And last night maybe showed some some cracks in in that uh, that top 10 ranking. We'll see if they can bounce back. I do think, at least for a coach, when you're coming back around and trying to refocus a team, is when you're trying to prep for for Purdue on Sunday – it's really advantageous to drop a game like that on the road, I feel, for Wisconsin. And the, the matchup to watch, I think, is pretty simple. It's Zach Eady and Stephen Kroll, right? Uh, you have two seven-foot-plus guys going at it in the post, and Kroll has improved season by season for the Badgers, averaging basically 12-8 and eight on the year for Wisconsin, and that's going to be the matchup to watch. Uh, if, if he can at least be salvageable, I think is the word I would use, against Edie in the, in the post, there's a chance for Wisconsin. I mean, they have a lot of depth on this team in terms of, of guys scoring 10-plus a game. You have Klesmet, you have Tyler Wall, you have Kroll, A.J. Storr, who's kind of leading the way for this team. So there are a lot of pieces uh, that can really contribute. And Chucky Heppard, averaging under 8 a game, I mean, he was a guy who was more of a, a star in the past, so... They just have a lot of depth when it comes to offensive pieces. Well, and I think, too, in the backcourt is who gets the assignment on store? Will it be Braden Smith? Uh, we saw Northwestern, with really good guards, give Purdue a big challenge. And we've talked about it. Guard play is key, not just offensively, but defensively in the tournament. A.J. Store is one of the best guards in the Big Ten, uh, if not 
uh, on the top, uh, close to the top of the list. Um, and how Purdue defends him after Boo Booey and company really kind of abused them from the outside a couple nights ago. I think that's another matchup to watch and see if Purdue can limit AJ Store, who's averaging close to 17 points a game. And another aspect to, to keep in mind is that Stephen Kroll's a guy who can actually shoot the three. He doesn't take a ton of them per game, but he'll take a couple per game, and that will at least give Zach Eady pause to have to play more on the perimeter. And he's shooting well with his three-point attempts. I mean, th- this is a guy that's shooting like 48% on the season from three. So he has that Kalel Ware ability to knock threes. Now, that didn't really help IU in the matchup against Edie. You thought it would help them more, but he got into early foul trouble, and that, that was that for Indiana. Yeah, and for Wisconsin, they only have one losing streak all season. That Those back-to-back losses to Tennessee and Providence. How have they responded after losses? Well, they played Robert Morris after Providence and beat them, and then they beat Jacksonville State after losing to Arizona. That's kind of tough to, to judge with those two. But after the loss to Penn State in the middle of January, they were able to beat Indiana by double digits at home three days later. So here we are in kind of a similar situation. Losing to Nebraska three days after that, you play a Purdue team at home. Uh, Wisconsin played a really good game against Indiana. Indiana's not as good a basketball team as Purdue is, but they bounced back from that loss reasonably well. And that was when Klesmet dropped 26 on Indiana. So is it Klesmet? Is it Store? Is it Wall? I think there's a multitude of guys that can beat you, and that will be something that Purdue needs to be aware of heading into Sunday. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Purdue fan texting in CK. I'm afraid Wisconsin is going to be very angry, and Purdue will lose by double digits. Well, that's kind of coming back to how Wisconsin responds after a loss and what they did after that Penn State loss, and now what they could potentially do coming off this Nebraska loss. And Wisconsin on the season, as you mentioned, I mean, their schedule is very backloaded starting with this Purdue game. You have Purdue, you play at Rutgers, which I get at Rutgers is a struggle, but it's hard to win at Rutgers. Uh, you have to play at Indiana, Illinois at home, and at Purdue. Uh, in fact, those final three games I mentioned, those are three of their final four games on the year. So Wisconsin got off to that strong start. They're now 8-2 and two in the Big Ten, a half game behind Purdue. And I would say Purdue has the advantage in the sense that their schedule is not as backloaded as Wisconsin's is. And that certainly helps. Yeah, very true. So Wisconsin really up against it because they're in a, a stretch now with three of a four on the road. Those road games, though, are Nebraska, Michigan, and Rutgers. But they lose that Nebraska game. And now coming back home on national television, we'll see what Wisconsin can do. But the matchup that I will be watching is who's on AJ Store. And how that goes, because Boo Booey, an elite guard in the Big Ten, really was able to keep Northwestern in that game almost single-handedly. Now, A.J. Storr, can he be that guy for Wisconsin to be that X-factor against that backcourt for Purdue? And will that further maybe draw concern if they can't shut down A.J. Storr as what does this mean when it comes tournament time and you're facing elite guards in March Madness? This will be an interesting guard matchup, as you've mentioned, uh, with Wisconsin's guards and Purdue guards. And Purdue's guards have have looked good all season when they've they've played tough matchups, right? They didn't have a problem with Arizona, didn't have a problem with Tennessee. Uh, you could go on and on and on. This will be another interesting one for Purdue and Wisconsin. Again, game coming up Sunday afternoon, 
Pre-game at noon, tip at 1 o'clock. You can listen on our sister station, WoWo 92.3 FM. Coming up on the other side, no college football and college sports are not in free fall. I keep seeing this narrative thrown out there this week. We'll discuss why this is just like any other change in sports. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862, the text line number again, 46862. Poll question of the day. In fact, seeing an ad for this on TV right now here in the studio. Are you going to watch the Pro Bowl or I guess more specifically the Pro Bowl games coming up on Sunday? Let us know. Uh, Twitter. Dot com slash Caleb Kinney 1380. So Twitter slash X again, Caleb Kinney 1380. That's the handle. Let us know. Uh, or you can text us on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. Uh, just put in CK before your message. Also, don't forget if you miss anything in hour number one or earlier in the show, you want to catch up. You can always do so via the podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, download for free and listen. Just look for it up by about 11 a.m. each and every morning after the show. Okay, I've seen more and more, and this ties to something we talked about in the first hour with Chip Kelly looking to go from head coach at UCLA, moving over to the Big Ten this fall, uh, to an NFL offensive coordinator, a guy who's already been an NFL head coach, has been a college head coach for, for quite some time uh, across a couple different stints. But a lot of people saying, well, we're going to see more and more of these coordinators going to the NFL. Fine. Uh, you know yeah. what? I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Or more of these coaches going to the NFL to be coordinators. I don't have a problem with it. You know what? If that's what they want to do, feel free. I think there's all this talk constantly of college football and college sports being in free fall since NIL came into play in the transfer portal. And here's the thing. I mean, college football has never been more popular in this country. It's gone from a largely regional sport where it's popular here in the Midwest and the South to, I think, becoming a national sport. Yes, I understand there are teams all across the country, but I think you're seeing interest beyond just the South and the Midwest and specifically the Big Ten for the first time. Uh, You had Colorado and what Dion did. I mean, that's not in those two geographic areas, right? Um, You have the Pacific Northwest with Oregon and Washington, their success this past year. So it's spread out across the country. And this narrative that college football is getting ruined by the portal and by NIL and realignment and all this stuff, I don't think it could be further from the truth. The only people crying about that are people who didn't benefit from this new era. Like, notice how the people crying are, are, are former players who didn't have NIL or portal as an option, uh, who think that, oh, you're ruining the integrity of the game as if it had some ounce of integrity before, right? With bag drops and cars and all the other booster benefits that we all know to be true now that was clearly hidden for the most part back in the day. It's It's not in free fall. It's just people who are willing to put in the work will stay around and people want to do something different after the changes will go elsewhere. Just like in any business. I do think that Kirk Herbstreit, so he talked and discussed about this. First of all, uh, Pete Thamel put this out yesterday, two days ago, talking about Boston College's head coach, Jeff Hadley, going to the NFL to be the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. He said, per a source that told him, 
Quote, he wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. College coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. I understand that logic. That said, I think even before NIL, you were busy kissing asses. Yeah, he's fundraising. Recruiting's never gone away. Now you're recruiting transfers. I get it. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet then saying that the trend will continue, he feels, without boundaries and regulations in the sense that coaches uh, are, are exponentially busier in college football than they are the NFL. And I think that's true. I think that's fair. And for those that have the benefit or the opportunity to go to the NFL to actually coach and not schmooze teenagers and teenagers' parents and wealthy boosters and all that stuff, I understand that angle. But in terms of the actual game being affected in college football by the recent things that have gone on, I I don't buy into it. Also, the difference from the NFL and college football. I mean, in the NFL, you are a coach and you can get hired and fired at a whim. In college football as a coach, you represent the brand, right? You're more powerful than the athletic director at your school most of the time. Yeah, sometimes you're the highest paid public official yes. in your state. You're higher paid than the school president or any other, yeah, any other public official. So like you are the face of the program and you have total control, right? Jim Harbaugh had control of coaches. He wanted to hire and fire. Um, That's the difference. Where in the NFL, you have a GM, you have an owner and in college football, outside of having to answer to the AD, which again, you're usually higher paid than the AD. There's no GM that's breathing down your neck or drafting players for you. You may not want you're recruiting the guys that you want. You that's have the true. control there. Yeah. You have all the control at that point. So yeah, it's, it's a, a interesting other side of the story. Um, I just, I find, I, I keep going back to Kirk Herb streets comments, talking about college football, spiraling out of, out of control and thinking, would he be saying the same thing if Ohio state had won the national championship? No. And I'm not saying that Kirk Herbstreit is is biased. I, I I think there's a natural bias in there when when you go to Ohio State or any school. But I think he does a really good job of not being biased. But I do also think that part of his reasoning is the fact that he saw Ohio State's rival, which had issues and still has issues in terms of compliance and following the rules, winning a national title, and that maybe feeds his narrative of what he's thinking in terms of the spiring of college football. But Make no mistake, and you made the point that, that people talking about, oh, it separates the haves and the have-nots in college football. We already had that, okay? This is just making it more public domain of of how clear the delineation is between the haves and the have-nots, the group of four and everyone else, effectively. Well, and I would say that the... It, yes, as far as the, the group of group of five... And then the power four, as opposed to the power five with the Pac-12 going away. Yes, you have that. But one positive thing with the portal and NIL is that you're not seeing Alabama and Georgia just completely hoard all the top recruits. Yes, they're still getting a lot of great players. Um, And winning is also going to help with that. But you're seeing the the five-star guys coming out of high school spread around. And then there's the fact that they can transfer out. So they may be at a program for a year and then transfer out. We're seeing that a lot more. That's fine. They... They're free to burn their one-time use transfer after their freshman year and and be locked in in another program up until they can be a graduate transfer. That's fine. That's their choice if they want to waste it that early. Um, I just think it's opened things up a lot more than what it used to be. 
I, I do believe it. What, what's stopping a, a David Letterman from coming into Ball State and saying, hey, here's $5 million for an NIL collective? Yeah. You know, those are the opportunities that maybe weren't there prior to the NIL being a thing. So, yeah, there's plenty of bad out there with it, but there's opportunities there as well that weren't necessarily there before. I, I just think the doom and gloom talk couldn't be further from the truth because you just had record TV ratings. You have players finally having a voice and being able to to transfer and, and get a, a pass, not just when a coach leaves, but in general, not if it's not have to sit out of here when coaches could go wherever they wanted. Really, it's just that the players have earned more power and the yes, people who don't like thing. that that system of the players earning more power are saying everything's bad and it's out of control. No, it just you don't have the control that you used to have. That's really all that it is. And I think it's for the better. And I think we're seeing that play out. We saw that play out this past season. And I think with the realignment, we'll see that play out in the fall. As weird as, as it's going to be having... You know, USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten and Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. You're going to have big brands now in the two biggest conferences. I think it's only going to make interest among fans and TV ratings go higher. Do I necessarily like all the realignment moves? No, I do not. But you can't argue that the results it is likely going to produce are only going to increase. TV ratings and interest and revenue. It's not going to take away from those things. Fan interest? I I don't think it's going anywhere. I, I don't think it's going I, anywhere. Except up. And it'll be a couple of years to adjust in terms of the Big Ten, of course, and we'll moan and groan here plenty uh, in regards to the matchups and all that stuff, but it'll take a couple of years to get used to, then it'll feel like normal. We'll miss a Pac-12 after dark. We'll have plenty of games to watch after 8 we'll o'clock. Still, yeah, worry. we'll still have late games. Yes. They may be East Coast teams or Midwest teams that have to go out West and play as opposed to two uh, Pac-12 teams or Mountain West teams playing each other. That said, it'll be different, but we'll get used to it pretty quick. And as you mentioned, it gives the new college football gives the athlete who always should have had a certain amount of power that never did an opportunity to really monetize what they're doing for their universities for so long have purely profited off their talents and really capitalized on those opportunities without passing them on to the athlete. Also coaches, you know, getting, I mean, Chip Kelly's 60 years old, right? Jeff Halfley, good coach, but at a program where you're always going to be an afterthought in your conference, just without things. I mean, Boston college used to be a a pretty good program, but it it takes them having an elite all-time player like a Matt Ryan or Doug Flutie to be relevant, right? So uh, it is what it is for those guys wanting to go to the NFL. One's already there. One's wanting to go back. The flip side of that is we don't hear Marcus Freeman and Ryan Walters complaining about these changes. Why? Because they're young cats, younger folks yeah. that are making it work. Ryan Day They're is, making this work. They're putting yeah. the work. Ryan Day, he's he certainly made it work in the portal <laughs> this year with what Ohio Big State's time. done. I mean, they went all in after what happened this past season. They got a lot of elite talent. They got guys from Alabama. They got a, a veteran quarterback coming in. Um, they got guys to come back like Michigan did the last couple of years to build their level of success. So 
not everyone's complaining. I just think some of the loudest voices in the room are complaining. And that's why that's the narrative that is trying to be told publicly is playing out that way. Yeah. The, 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 the loudest voices that used to have unblemished, unchallenged power in college football. Coming up on the other side from college football to hockey, Shane Alberani, the voice of the comments will join us. Talk about the K's returning home after the circus road trip next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380, the fan and 100.9 FM Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380, the fan 100.9 FM four, six, eight, six, two, the text line number again, four, six, eight, six, two. Also, don't forget. You can always stream us 1380, the fan.com via the 1380, the fan app free for you to download for your phone or on your smart speaker. Our poll question of the day is up. Will you be watching the Pro Bowl on Sunday afternoon? Yes or no? Let us know your thoughts. Twitter.com slash Caleb Kinney 1380. Again, Caleb Kinney 1380, the Twitter slash X handle. And early returns on the poll, Justin. So we take a look at where things stand. Uh huh. What do we got? Uh, 94% say no. Man, just keeps I'll, going higher. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Though. Uh, sure. uh, David uh, replying, sadly, yes. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate it. <laughs> Some people like, just know that that's what... They're going to get sucked in, yep, right? You're going to get sucked in. You're going to do it. That's fine. Uh, but but hopefully you, you have better things to do. Like, well, for example, the Comets. They're at home yeah, go on watch Sunday. Yeah, on Sunday. Uh, against Kalamazoo at the Coliseum. Uh, they're also home tonight against Cincinnati. Three games, three days on the road coming up on Saturday night at Cincinnati as well. And to talk about all of it, Shane Albrani, the voice of the comments, will joining us right now here on the guest line. Good morning, Shane. Happy Friday. Yo, 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 fellas. How are you? I'm good. So do you have any uh, fun stories from the circus road trip? There's always a, a travel tale. <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, you know, I got my travel nightmare out of the way this year, coming back from Rapid City. So uh, luckily, uh, everything has been pretty smooth since then. Uh, I really do not want to uh, uh, go on any more flights. Uh, actually, we're going to Kansas City and Wichita uh, next week, and the team offered to fly me, and I said, no, I'm good with the bus. <laughs> You're a bus guy <laughs> over a plane guy? Uh, well, normally, no, but after that one, I'm, it's going to take me a little bit to get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. So the K's returning home tonight. They'll host Cincinnati eight o'clock puck drop uh, to start the first of three games in three days, as we mentioned, and a highly anticipated debut for Daniel Amesbury, known to be an enforcer. What does he bring beyond just being known as an enforcer? What does he bring to the comments that could kind of change things for them this season? Well, diamond hands, uh, you know, I, I think uh, he's getting the reputation of just a guy who, who, uh, can drop the gloves and do that very well, but this guy can play some hockey, uh, and this is what he he's here for. He's been saying that he's like, yes, I'm here to be you know the sheriff out on the ice, but I can play some hockey. So he's an energy guy, you know. Uh, I, I don't see him, of course, playing on a top line. You're going to see him maybe as the tenth, eleventh forward, uh, but he's going to get some ice time and, and he's going to play. So uh, you know, we we're all looking forward to it. I think the entire team is looking very much looking forward to it to see uh, what he can, what he can do and the energy. I mean, they, the guys have already said he's brought in so many, just, just energy. And he's just been just a, a, a breath of fresh air in the dressing room and, and uh, during practices. So I think, uh, yeah, I think the guys are, are super excited to see what he can do. 
and my favorite part of Daniel Amsbury's biography, he was one of the guys that worked on logs in British Columbia with the spike boots, like walking on the logs when they push him down the river. That's that's, yeah, that's the you know greatest what? thing he's I've got ever heard. A, a, a really cool history. You know, he's done a lot of uh, neat things. And uh, so he's almost like when you hear stories like that, you know, he's a folk hero already. Uh, <laughs> and he hasn't even set out on the ice. So, you know, there'll be rumors and stories and all kinds of things that this guy used to do. And that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and hopefully it translates into the ice or onto the ice for the case. Uh, somebody else that uh, is relatively new to the case, Ethan Keppen, when he was traded for in December. He's been a big aspect of the case since being acquired in that December trade. What has he brought to the lineup for the Comets, and can it continue? Yeah, uh, this is a great trade. Uh, you know, he gave up a, yeah, one of your goaltenders, which you, you were going to have to get rid of anyway now that you have three really good ones in Francois Broussard. You had to trade him back to Maine, and you traded a defenseman, Darian Kelb, who is now in Europe. Uh, so the Comets really got the better end of that deal, but he's brought a different dynamic. Uh, he's another energy guy. He's a guy who can pop up on a first or a second line. And with Matt Wedman in the AHL right now, that's what the Comets really, really need. So he's really filled, uh, filled that role pretty well. Shane Alberani, voice of the Comets, joining us on the guest line. So we're kind of into the grind of the ECHL schedule the Comets right now, second place in the division, but just six points separate them in Cincinnati all the way back in sixth. Is there something that you look for in a team during this grind of the season and, and you kind of in between start of the year and then making that playoff push that you look for that kind of separate past Comet teams and, and what really stands out to you with them? Well, this is, this is you said it, grind. It's the, it's the grind part of the season. And this is where you got to grind out wins. You know, you got to find ways to win instead of finding ways to lose, which is the way the Comets have, have done here. Uh, for uh, for the first half of the season, but now they're starting to find ways to win. And getting Ryan Fancy back was was huge. Not that the goaltending wasn't great because it was. I don't know how you could get it any better, but you did with Ryan Fancy. So it's an A plus plus at this point. And so having that, knowing, and that's something the comments haven't had. Uh, you know, I think you know Sam Harvey uh, had that, but uh, you didn't have any solid backups. You, you when you got into uh, any injuries or any call-ups for the goaltenders, it, it spelled doom. But this year, I don't see that. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. you got three goaltenders who really are number one, and it's really quite remarkable. So I think you fall back on your goaltending, uh, which is great. Uh, you're, the, the, the rookies uh, on the forward lines are getting much better. Uh, and, you know, you still got guys in the AHL that still could be coming down as well. So, this team is really in a good spot. I, 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 I hate the fact that all these other teams have got the games at hand. You know, the Comets have played two, three uh, more games than every other team. So, you know, you kind of have to take that into consideration. You got to think, okay, those guys are going to win those games, and you can be in fourth and fifth place inside of a week. No fault of your own, just for you sitting at home and you haven't been able to do anything about it. But the Comets control what they control, which is just win hockey games. And after we get back from Kansas City and Wichita, Every game is within the division, so every game is a four-point swing. So uh, it is going to be a battle every night starting uh, in two weeks. Shane Alberani, voice of the comments, joining us. You mentioned Ryan Fanti and his addition among the comments goaltending group and the depth that they have there. Is Fanti expected to be the number one guy, night in, night out, between the pipes? Or are we going to see a rotation? What do you expect to see this weekend? Well, uh, with three games and three nights, I expect to see the rotation, uh, you know, 
Uh, I think Tyler Parks, is, you know, he's been the number one. You know, he's uh, tied in the league uh, for most wins. Uh, but he's also a little bit older and a guy who's probably going to appreciate that night off. And with Ryan Fancy there, you know, you can throw him out there, uh, you know, two games in a row. And, and poor Brett Brochu, who uh, unfortunately is not a contract guy, you know, uh, Fancy and, uh, uh, and Parks are affiliated with Bakersfield. So they have to get the majority of, of the playing time. And, but Brett Brochu, who has been so good, I mean, the last game he, he uh, was in, he, he threw a shutout. Uh, you know what, now he's going to have trouble cracking the lineup. So it's a good problem to have. Uh, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how, uh, how Coach uh, Jesse Kalecki does handle the goaltending here because you want to keep the guys fresh, but you also got to keep them sharp. Shane, we asked Justin Cohn this question last week, and we know Toledo has kind of be that, been that nemesis for the Ks this year, but is there another team in the Central Division that you look at and say, yeah, that's a bad matchup for the Comets if they do indeed meet in the playoffs because Coney kind of pointed to this Cyclones team that the Comets will play tonight as perhaps that squad that the Ks don't necessarily match up well against. I didn't know what your thoughts were on that. Well, I'm not sure when you talk to Justin, but uh, in the past week they've had a mass exodus. Uh, They lost two guys uh, to Europe. They lost one guy. Uh, to retirement, one guy went to Europe, changed his mind, came right back. Uh, their goaltending has been a bit suspect throughout the year. So, and they've had guys bounce back and forth in the AHL. So, no, uh, Cincinnati isn't a team that really bothers me at all at the moment as, as, as we go into this weekend uh, because they are in a bit of, of disarray, and they've, they've lost uh, three straight, and uh, they've done it you know, in spectacular fashion. I think they've been outscored 17-4 to four in those last three games. Uh, they got Zach Andrusiak back, arguably uh, their best player, and Jalen Schmerich, who was supposed to go to Europe. He was the guy who came back, so that certainly helps them out. But, yeah, they, they were in a complete uh, – they lost 9-1 to one, uh, Sunday in Toledo, and the Comets shut them out the night before. So uh, playing Cincinnati here, uh, we got them four times in all in the month of February. Uh, I like that because if you look at – the the uh, uh, the record the Comets have had against every other team in the Central, they're two and one against Cincinnati. They're four and zero against Kalamazoo. They're two and zero against Wheeling. The only team that's really given them fits is Toledo, one six and one. So and that's the team you're chasing. But maybe that is probably catching Toledo still probably out of of possibility. So you, hey, you know you just want to lock down that second that 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 number two spot, which they can't because every other team they're gonna be playing, they've got a winning record against. They're done with Iowa. Iowa caused them some some fits there early part of the season, but we're not gonna see them. So uh I expect the Wheeling team actually is the team that we're gonna see a lot of. We only played them twice. We played them early in the season, but they've won six in a row. That's the team to look out for. So what you're saying is no excuse for the K's not to come out and smack around some cyclones tonight. Absolutely. And, you know, now that I've said that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there you go. But, you know, even you look at next week, uh, you know, the comments are going to, this will be a great test going to Kansas City on Wednesday. They're the best team in the league. And then you're going to play arguably the worst team in the league in Wichita for two games. So if that isn't a trap right there, uh, I don't know what is. <laughs> so. <laughs> is, it, uh, is it a welcome break coming up to go out of the division before the grind of the final you know, 25 or so games of the regular season, not just for this team, but also I'm sure you look forward to maybe not the travel part, especially flying, but uh, in terms of seeing some other teams, especially a team like KC that looks like one of the best, if not the best team this year in the ECHL. Yeah, no, I think it's really good uh, to go to Kansas City and play a team like that. You can, that's the really true measuring stick, if you think about it, you know, 
because um, we basically have only seen teams in division. Uh, you know, you look at Toledo, they've only played one game outside of the division. That was a team in Reading that's not very good. So, I mean, I think if you're a coach, hey, you know what, I want to see how we stack up against teams in other divisions because, you know, we get out of the central division in the playoffs, that's who we're going to have to play. So, no, I, I think it's great uh, to go out there and then you can – kind of figure out, you know, what the other division has to offer in there, of course, in the mountain, and that's the team you would have to play in the conference final if you got that far. Uh, and then you get to the central, and then it's just going to be a war every night. And that's where, you know, guys like, you know, Diamond Hands are going to come in handy because it is going to be a battle every night, and every game is really a playoff game since it's a four-point swing, and you look at how close every team is in the central division. You know, Toledo's fallen back a little bit. It looked like, you know, a month ago no one was going to catch him. Well, you know what, I think the Comets are only, what, eight points back now, So, and everyone else is, has got games at hand. So, it, you know, it, it, it's going to be a race here. It's going to be real fun here uh, when we get back from uh, Kansas City and Wichita. Shane, wanted to ask you, we've, we've heard about expansion now in the ECHL with the Lake Placid team and now the Bloomington, Illinois team, and we've gotten used to the Central. Really, the only outlier kind of geographically is Iowa, yet that we're still in the Western Conference do you see any indications that there'll be serious realignment when the ECHL adds more teams? I know they want to get to 32. They'll get to 30 with the two expansions that have been announced. Have you heard anything about any shakeup in terms of what the Central Division could look like in the future? Uh, no, I think it's pretty much sad. I mean, if you look at the teams in the division, ge- geographically, you know, they're, they're set up. You know, I don't know what Bloomington, you know, I think they might be more suited for the Mountain Division, but still could be in the Central. You know, you could see, you know, you could see a Wheeling going to the East, Bloomington going to the Central. It would be minor tweaks. I don't, I don't see anything major there uh, because again, we're we're so ge- you know geographically blessed having Kalamazoo and Indy and Toledo and Cincinnati, you know, right in our backyard. So no, I don't, I don't see any major shakeups. I thought with your power, with your clout, you could put the comments in with, you know, the Iceman and the South Carolina Stingrays and Orlando and Florida. <laughs> Allen Americans. Yeah. And just have to make the sacrifice of going South for division games all season. Oh, I, I, you know, I'd play every game uh, in Florida. You know, we could just play those guys, three, you know, those three teams every every day. So that'd be okay with me. I mean, Allegiant's got the direct flights. I mean, it's it's easy. Yeah, work. right. <laughs> it all makes sense. Absolutely. Well, they don't listen to us, you know. <laughs> Shane Alberani, voice of the comments, joining us, and and Shane with this schedule and and how things are playing out. Do you look forward to the non division games just because it's a, a break? Or is oh, it sure. is yeah. it more you know, of a challenge? It's, uh, it's nice, and even just for us broadcasters, you know, we're you know we're a fraternity. Uh, you know, we you know there's not that many of us. You know, if you really think about you know hockey broadcasters, there's only like roughly ninety of us. You know, in in uh, in the U.S. and Canada. You know, so it's it's very much a brotherhood. So uh, you know, it's nice you know to go outside of the division, able to hang out with your brothers. You know, that you don't normally get to see. Maybe you see them. Once a year, if that, uh, you know, maybe you get to see him at the summer meetings and that's really it. Uh, so, no, it's great to go out and just uh, be able to hang out with some of your, your fraternity brothers and, uh, and, and share some stories and, and whatnot, you know, because, you know, us guys in Central, you know, we see each other almost, you know, once a week and, you know, hey, we, still, we make fun of each other. It's like, I can't believe I'm looking at you again, you know. <laughs> so it's great to, to go out and, and, uh, and see. And, you know, and, and you meet some of the younger broadcasters, you know, that you've never met before. And it's, uh, it's a good time. I, I, I enjoy going outside the division. And, of course, with Toledo, you know, the fans don't like each other. The players don't like each other. That's got to mean the broadcasters don't like each other, right? 
Oh no, actually, you know, we're actually we're the guys that we're the calm ones. I think, and we're the adults. <laughs> the adults in the room in the Toledo Fort Wayne we're, rivalry. We're, yeah, you know, we're just the entertainers. Uh, you know, we're we're just there to bring you the game, and hopefully, you're entertained. And you know, I think there's such a misconception about us broadcasters. You know, because all of us will get made fun of or hammered on online. Uh, us being us being homers. Yeah, well, right. of course we are because that's our audience. We're not yeah. paid to be, uh, you know, to toe the line. You know, to call it right down the middle. We're just not because we know Comet fans are listening to me. Toledo fans are listening to Matt Melzack. You know, and, and all you know. So no, we're of course going to skew it. We're going to make everything sound great for us. Uh, you know, there was an old joke about about the, about Bob Chase. You know, in sixty years, a Comet never lost a fight. You know, because <laughs> that's the way Bob called it, and that's what, you know how I do it as well. So uh, yeah, no, us broadcasters, you know. You know, we, of course, we're competitive. You know, we love to we, we love to win, you know, hate to lose. But, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what has happened. Us broadcasters are usually giving each other a hug as we're walking out the door. It doesn't matter how intense that game was or we thought this was, you know, was crap or this would happen. doesn't matter, man. We're, we're hugging each other. We're buddies. And uh, we'll see you next game. <laughs> Shane Alberani, voice of the comments. Shane, look forward to the call. Three games, three nights. Uh, keep the voice uh, just make sure you keep the voice, right? I mean, that's always the biggest challenge for these Yeah, you know weekends. what? I got Fiona looking over my shoulder. She's, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, <laughs> hey, Shane, don't fall down or anything. Yeah, she's, she's setting traps for you all over the place, dropping banana peels behind her, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a shady one. <laughs> Shane, as always, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Shane Alberani, voice of the comments. Again, comments on our sister station, WoWo, 1190 AM, 92.3 FM. Uh, coming up tonight at the Coliseum against Cincinnati, 8 o'clock puck drop in that one. Coming up on the other side, a family in Georgia had their house taken over. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up for the week here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Poll question of the day. Just one last reminder to vote. Will you watch the Pro Bowl on Sunday? Nearly 95% of you say no. Again, Caleb Kenny, 1380 on Twitter slash X. That is where you can vote in our poll question of the day. All right, wrapping it up for the week. Final story in a family in Georgia had to evacuate their home and it became infested by a bat colony. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Monica and Isaiah Grant moved from Chicago to a rental home in Savannah just under a year ago, encountered their first bat on January 18th. They knew Savannah had bats. They weren't concerned. But then there were several more bat encounters in the ensuing days. They soon discovered the house was infested Ooh. with bats. Uh, Monica said... No one expects this. Like, I've never even seen a bat except for at the zoo. And then there was another one in the vent. And that's when we were like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Something <laughs> is seriously wrong with this house. Ooh. Um, my wife is deathly afraid of bats. Yeah, my wife doesn't like bats. I like bats, so. I don't, like, they're ugly. But, like, just sure. one of them is, like, fine. I think I'd be a little spooked by a colony. Yeah, especially in your house. Yes. Uh, we used to have the house next to us used to be. Uh, like a foreclosure, so there was nobody in there for years. Yeah. And bats were living in the chimney. You could Ugh. see them going in and out you oh, know, gosh. at night right next to it. So it was like a blessing and occurred like they had somewhere else to go, but they were so close, you know, and uh, 
Now my wife can't do it. Like she would the dusk in the summer. She's deathly afraid of being outside and uh, then one of them dive bombing her or something. But uh, I'm not that afraid, but I would not want bats no. in my home. No, like just one. You could deal with it and be like, wow, that remember that time there was a bat in our house? Well, yeah, that was fun. Uh, the, the couple, their two children, ages two and eight months now staying with a neighbor. They've received Ooh. rabies shots. Exterminators who viewed the home said the situation is worse than anything they've ever seen. They're trying to raise money for relocation costs, and the city issued a code ordinance violation. Remember, it's a rental, so they're trying to work together with the landlord to resolve the bat issue. (laughs) Worst (laughs) that they've ever seen. That's that's not what you want to be told when something in your house. Yeah, that's the worst we've ever seen. Not ideal. No. No, I'll pass on that situation. All right, that'll wrap it up for us for the week. Thanks to Shane Alberani, Voice of the Comments, for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up. Next, the Herd with Colin Coward at noon, Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4, and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6, all here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Have a great weekend.